we're often afraid of people who are honest with us and um, we often surround ourselves by friends who we encourage uh, not to tell us the truth, to tell us that everything's fine even when it's not. But the privilege of having someone who you trust uh, and someone who you know loves you tell you the truth is enormous and I think it's, um, it's important that we give uh, someone in our life permission to be that person, permission to uh, be honest with us and uh, not all the time but when the time is appropriate someone who will sit down and tell us the truth. Now we're looking today at a barnstorming passage in uh, Luke's Gospel uh, in chapter 11 verses 37 to 54. It's um, almost comedy uh, in just how awkward the situation is. Um, uh, it's Jesus laying into the religious institutions of his day. It's awkward partly because of the um, context. Um, Jesus is invited for dinner by one of the Pharisees and um, so he goes in and uh, he very deliberately uh, doesn't wash. The uh, Pharisees had very clear rules about when you should wash and certainly um, before dinner was one of those times and Jesus is being um, uh, really provocative, uh, refusing to be uh, submitted to uh, man-made laws. But more than that, I think, intending to have this conversation with the Pharisees and uh, the way he begins uh, is... Um, uh, well, there's no pleasantries here. You know, when you go for dinner with someone, people tend to say, oh, thanks for the dinner invites, and, ooh, smells lovely, and I like what you've done with the place. No, Jesus starts by saying in verse 39, now then, you Pharisees, you can see that he has been uh, building up to this moment. Uh, and here he lays out his critique of their religious tradition. And um, uh, it gets worse because in the middle of um, uh, these woes, he gets um, uh, three woes for the Pharisees. And then uh, someone else who's around the dinner table tries to uh, interject and, and says, come on, Jesus. Um, you're being a bit rude here. Uh, it's one of the uh, teachers of the law. Um, these guys were the uh, academics of the day. Uh, these were the ones who were responsible for interpreting and understanding the Torah, the, um, uh, uh, the Old Testament's uh, law and prophets. And, um, and uh, this guy tries to say, uh, you're being offensive to us as well. And then Jesus turns his guns on him. So there are here uh, three woes to the Pharisees and three woes to the teachers of the law. All in all, it is a thorough um, uh, deconstruction and critique of the religion of Jesus's day. But my suspicion about these things is that it's not just um, uh, valid as a critique of um, first century Jewish religion. Um, I think the critique that takes place here is um, uh, not of one particular tradition, but a critique of uh, what is a sort of innate religious tendency in human beings. And so the, this uh, seems to function pretty effectively as a critique of um, pretty much uh, all religions, whether Christian or otherwise, in all ages. These are things that we need to be uh, challenged by and shaped by. And uh, the temptation for any preacher coming across um, a passage like this uh, must be to use it as an opportunity to um, uh, to rail against everything that they uh, disagree with in um, uh, uh, their own tradition or in other traditions. Um, I don't really want to do that as much as it's tempting. Um, I want us to put our own house in order and um, allow this to be a critique of ourselves and uh, rather than for it, for it to be a negative exercise, for us to draw from this, uh, from these six woes, uh, six 
uh, convictions, six commitments that we're going to make that will shape our life together at Church on the Corner. What this is going to be is a, a manifesto for Church on the Corner. Six points uh, taken from these six woes. These are, uh, are available as a whole uh, on the Church on the Corner website. Um, uh, go and pick them up if you want to uh, uh, see them as uh, you're listening to this. Um, but uh, number one is this. That we will seek justice and the love of God. We will treat money reverently as an opportunity to do good rather than as an opportunity for selfishness. We will seek justice and the love of God. We will treat money reverently and as an opportunity to do good rather than as an opportunity for selfishness. Where does this come from? Well, it's the first woe to the Pharisees. In verse 42, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. The um, uh, Pharisees were um, uh, rigorous about their religious life and uh, they went into great detail to make sure that it uh, affected every aspect of their lives. So they would tithe um, uh, even their garden herbs. Uh, one tenth of everything that grows um, they would pick and uh, hand into the temple. It must have been a tremendously exciting time for the, uh, the, the priest in the temple when he gets handed a little plate of the Pharisees' garden herbs. Now Jesus isn't saying there's anything wrong with this, that their diligence is a really good thing. Uh, he said um, you should have practiced the, uh, the latter without leaving the former undone. Carry on the tithing. That's a, a really good thing. But what is it that they've neglected? Why does he declare this woe? Because for all of their uh, attention to detail, they have neglected two of the most fundamental things, justice and the love of God. I'm struck that those two things um, actually parallel the first two commandments that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, and you should love your neighbour as yourself. For all of their diligence, they had neglected the greatest commandments. And there's that word again, justice. If you've been with us at Church on the Corner for the last uh, few months, um, uh, this is a theme that has come up time and time again. We've been wrestling with how uh, questions of social and economic justice fit with a life of discipleship and uh, walking uh, in Jesus' footsteps. And uh, we have been confronted with uh, this realisation that God cares profoundly about justice in every aspect of life. And if we are those who um, are being remade in his image in whom his spirit is at work, then we must begin to care about the things that he cares about. And don't allow yourself to think that that care is just an emotional thing. It is a practical thing. And strikingly from this passage, it is an economic thing. The context here is tithing. Um, the idea uh, rooted uh, uh, in the Old Testament that um, the first 10% of everything that you receive, you give to God and to support uh, the work of um, uh, the church or the temple. Um, uh, it's set in the context of the question of giving. You notice also that uh, in the previous verses, um, Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was uh, in verse 39, that they're clean on the outside, but inside they're full of greed and wickedness. And um, his remedy for that was uh, uh, to give to the poor in verse uh, 41. And let's go further than this. It's not just the justice which is an economic issue, but also the love of God is an economic issue. 
money is perhaps the most sensitive subject for Western Christians because it's the closest subject to our hearts. But the way we treat our money, the way we deal with not just the first 10%, but all of it, reflects where our heart is and where our treasure is. There's a lovely line um, by John Piper, and uh, he says this. Uh, he says uh, that we need to develop a wartime lifestyle that's willing to sacrifice luxury and, the comf- and comforts for the sake of justice and the love of God. He's painting a picture of that sort of uh, Dunkirk spirit, that sort of blitz mentality that um, uh, uh, got people through all of the hardship of the Second World War, um, uh, that they pulled together for the sake of victory. And how much more should um, uh, Christians be able to sacrifice comfort and luxury for the sake of um, a, a greater victory and an even greater purpose? We need to develop a, a wartime lifestyle that's willing to sacrifice luxury and comfort for the sake of justice and the love of God. So you see how those two parts of that first commitment hold together. It was this. We seek justice and the love of God. And we will treat money reverently and as an opportunity to do good rather than as an opportunity for selfishness. Our second commitment is this, that we are humble and seek to serve rather than seeking status. This, of course, comes from the second of these woes to the Pharisees. In verse 43, verse 43 woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Now, this criticism doesn't sound all that serious compared to the previous one. The first one said, um, uh, you're neglecting the first two commandments. Uh, The second is simply saying that um, uh, you like the sort of respect that people show you. But uh, it's it's more important and uh, more significant than that. He is essentially saying that their religion is uh, proud and self-seeking. That um, uh, their lifestyle and the choices that they make um, are are, are done out of self-interest. It's to make them look important, to give them status. Jesus makes the same criticism elsewhere of them. Um, They pray in public so that they uh, look pious and um, uh, they care too much about what people think of them. Now there is in our day a a real uh, cult of celebrity and uh, the church has um, uh, always got a tendency to slightly fall into that. And so we have uh, celebrity church leaders or celebrity worship leaders. And um, uh, there's nothing more exciting than um, uh, seeing someone famous become a Christian. But all of that, of course, is nonsense and uh, is uh, a seeking after worldly uh, status and recognition. By contrast, we want to commit ourselves to being humble and seeking to serve We want to make the commitment that the greatest amongst us is the servant of all. That we're not marked as a community by everybody trying to get one over on each other um, uh, in order to increase their status or their self-respect or what people think of them. But we're willing to uh, humble ourselves to one another and to others for the sake of the kingdom. Number three, we will be signposts to the way of life and forgiveness. The third woe to the Pharisees is in verse 44. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. This is an awful condemnation of the Pharisees and all that they stand for. They uh, prided themselves on being somehow cleaner uh, and better than everybody else. Uh, The thing that they were most afraid of was coming into contact with um, uh, uh, dead bodies. Um, Dead bodies were the most unclean thing for obvious reasons. And the process of getting clean again after being 
uh, coming in contact with something dead took a long time. Jesus says you are unmarked graves so that people are coming into contact with uh, uh, death uh, without even realising it and carrying that uncleanness with them. What does he mean by this? Uh, what is it about the Pharisees that um, uh, leave people unclean without them even realising? That puts them in a worse state than they were in the first place? Well, I think it's rooted in the first uh, two condemnations. These Pharisees, Jesus says, are toxic because they teach people pride and hypocrisy and greed. They teach people that the matters of God are small things that can be dealt with by uh, details. That as long as you wash at the right time and give a tenth of your herbs, then everything will be fine between you and God. Jesus is saying that pe people, when they come into contact with the Pharisees, when they become a disciple of these Pharisees, are left in a worse state than they were before. And that is an awful condemnation. So by contrast, we make this commitment that we will be signposts to the way of life and forgiveness. That in the way that we uh, relate to another, uh, one another as a, as a community here, the way we live our lives as individuals, that we are open and transparent about the grace and the mercy that we have found from God. And that the way we treat one another reflects those things. That uh, in the compassion and the love that we show one another, uh, we point to the life and the forgiveness that we have found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in God our Father. That we commit to be a place where people don't just hear about the gospel, but they see the gospel lived out. They see that it works and that we allow it to affect every aspect of our community life, our family life and our individual lives. Now, at this point, the uh, teacher of the law interjects and says um, to Jesus that uh, uh, when you're rude to the Pharisees, you're also rude to us, which is uh, odd. Um, uh, these two groups, I think, spend quite a lot of time sort of arguing and uh, fighting with each other. Uh, so why is it that when Jesus is rude to the Pharisees, the um, teachers of the law are offended? And my suspicion is that it's because uh, the teachers of the law were the um, uh, academic foundation upon which the Pharisees' ideas were built. It was the teachers of the law's um, uh, work on the Old Testament that provided the framework for the Pharisees. And so, for example, it would be the teachers of the law who kind of so hedged around the concept of tithing that um, uh, the 10% the of your herbs was their idea. So these next three, low, uh, uh, three points from that words to the teachers of the law uh, start number four. We will seek to liberate people from the oppression of religion, guilt and self-righteousness. And we will carry one another's burdens. The first woe to these teachers of the law was this. In verse 46, you experts of the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That's what religion was for them. Um, uh, they would load people down with lists and lists of rules and regulations, things that needed to be done in order to be sure of being right with God. And so people's lives were oppressed by uh, the necessity of um, a detailed religious observance or for people who fell through uh, the net, uh, um, a constant uh, sense of guilt um, and for people who were successful, um, uh, 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 an unreal self-righteousness. And oppressive religious practice and guilt or self-righteousness uh, all have been dangers that uh, churches and Christians have fallen into time after time. All too often I meet people uh, when they arrive at church on the corner and they uh, talk about their experience of church in the past and it's been of these things, of oppressive religion and of guilt uh, and of self-righteousness. 
this commitment is that we, we are a church which liberates people from those things. That uh, in the way that we uh, live our lives, in the way that we're honest about who we are, um, uh, the way that we reflect um, uh, the, uh, the grace and mercy of God, uh, that we are saving people from um, uh, these three things. There's been a danger when we talk like this that it sounds like um, uh, we never challenge anybody, we never speak truth to them. Um, uh, that's simply not the case. Um, but uh, the second part of this commitment is that we carry one another's burdens. Um, if you were with us uh, back when we were studying Galatians, this was part of the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the pinnacle of that amazing book. Um, but uh, there was a, a line at the beginning of chapter 6 which said, uh, carry one another's burdens and in this way you fulfil the law of Christ. This idea that we enter into one another's struggles and difficulties, that we participate in them and that we provide strength for one another. We as a church do speak truth to people. We will challenge them about their li uh, lifestyles, but we will not do it lightly uh, or in a way that is simply intended to induce guilt or uh, self-righteousness. That's um, the only place that we have the right to step in and challenge people is when we are willing to be involved in that problem and to help carry one another's burdens. Five, and this is um, uh, really appropriate, I think, for Church in the Corner. It's a sort of definition of where we stand. It is this. We value tradition and learn from it, but we do not venerate any tradition. This is from verse 47. Woe to you, uh, teachers of the law, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. Their error was that they venerated tradition, that they believed that they stood in a great heritage of tradition, yet the truth was um, uh, they didn't listen to what the prophets who'd gone before them had said. They weren't uh, open to uh, change as a result of those prophets. Jesus goes as far as to say it was your forefathers who killed them. Much of the division in churches um, uh, is about tradition. It's about uh, great figures from the past who've shaped uh, the course of church history. Um, and yet we end up uh, arguing about whether we're Calvinist or Lutheran or uh, Wesleyan uh, or uh, any other uh, type of tradition. Christians have a tendency to fall into one of uh, two traps. One, they get um, uh, um, uh, stuck in one tradition, so are unable to hear the voices of other tradition. Uh, or, or two, uh, they reject them all. Um, I don't want us to do either of those things, that we want to learn as much as we can from tradition. We want to stand in the rich heritage of Christianity, which stretches back 2,000 years, and uh, have the humility to learn uh, from people who've gone before us and to be shaped by them. But we will, will not venerate any of them. We will not um, uh, always agree with them. We will reserve the right to uh, disagree with uh, aspects of uh, someone's ideas or theology. Tradition is really important to us, but it will not bind us. So we value tradition and learn from it, but we do not venerate any tradition. And finally, six, that we will treat the Bible as the key to understanding life, which we will first seek to put into practice for ourselves. Jesus says, woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourself have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. These experts in the law whose responsibility it was to uh, expound and understand the Old Testament had in their hands the key to knowledge, the key to understanding life and God. And yet in their dissection, uh, their scientific approach and their academic uh, rigour, they had failed uh, to grasp that key to life in themselves. Um, 
Uh, it's almost a, uh, like that thing where you uh, dissect a, a flower and you may uh, see all of the details and the workings of it, but something beautiful is destroyed. Their great failure was that they had this thing and first they had not entered themselves. They hadn't modelled what it looked like to enter into the um, uh, relationship with God which was offered there. And secondly, that they had hindered those who were entering. These uh, academics were the gatekeepers of the scriptures and uh, yet uh, they had closed those gates and not entered themselves. So, by contrast, we commit ourselves to being people who uh, treat uh, those same scriptures um, as the key to understanding life. We will, we will deal with them with humility and integrity, seeking to understand them and to be challenged by them. And we will uh, put, it, put what we learn into practice in our lives and attempt to model that for others so that we might both uh, take hold of this key to knowledge, uh, uh, enter into the relationship with God which is offered and uh, um, be signposts for other people who uh, are entering. So there we have six commitments. This is a, a manifesto for Church on the Corner. One, we seek justice and the love of God and we treat money reverently and as an opportunity to do good. Two, we are humble and seek to serve rather than seeking status. Three, we will be signposts to the way of life and forgiveness. Four, we will seek to liberate people from the oppression of religion, guilt and self-righteousness and we will carry one another's burdens. Five, we will value tradition and learn from it but we will not venerate any tradition. And six, we will treat the Bible as the key to understanding life which we will first seek to put into practice for ourselves. It strikes me that uh, at the uh, end of Luke 11, these woes to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is a strange place to draw up uh, a manifesto for a church. And yet I find myself uh, really quite excited about these things, that in Jesus' critique of, religion of, his, of the religion of his day and uh, his critique of the religion of our day, that we might learn from the errors of those who've gone before us and that we might put into practice uh, a pattern of uh, Christian life which um, takes hold of life and offers it to others that we can live out as a community and be a witness and signposts to the grace and mercy and truth that we have found.